Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. All right, let's talk about your day in court. If you get a traffic ticket and you decide to fight the power and go to court, try to overturn that ticket, how easy is it to do that? I once had someone tell me, if you ever get a traffic ticket, let's say for speeding, you should always plead not guilty because if you go to court and the police officer does not show up, which happens maybe more than we think, then the judge will throw the ticket out. You beat the rap. Is that true? Or is that an urban myth? Let's discuss with my guest, Kyla Lee, traffic lawyer, Acumen Law. Hi, Kyla. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot for coming on. So I follow you on TikTok, and I, I, anyone out there, if you're on TikTok, you should definitely follow Kyla. It's really, really good follow on there. And you had a TikTok about this the other day, right? Tell me about that. Yes. So um, I, I guess I got a little bit tired of uh, of hearing from people that, you know, you can just dispute your ticket. And most of the time, the officer is not going to show up and your ticket will just automatically be thrown out. Um, and I wanted to sort of dispel that myth because it's a little bit more complicated than people make it out to be. OK, so what is the reality that does not happen then? It doesn't happen as often as you may think. I mean, there are cases, obviously, where police officers, you know, they might end up having to respond to a serious incident on their way to court and not make it, or they may get sick and not uh, send anyone to adjourn it. But the majority of time, police officers are going to be in court. And this is because the court actually has access to the police officer's schedule. They know when the police officer is on duty, and tickets are scheduled for that police officer when they're supposed to be on duty. They also schedule multiple tickets for the same officer at the same time. So the officer will come, they'll have four or five tickets in the same court session. They're more incentivized to show up, obviously, in those conditions because they have multiple matters to speak to. Okay, what about negotiating negotiating in the hallway? Because you and I have talked about this before, and I, I find this is interesting. Like, If you decide to fight a ticket, plead not guilty, you show up, let's say the police officer is there in court. Oh, darn it, police officer showed up. I guess I'm not going to beat the rap on a technicality here. But can you talk to the police officer before you go in front of a judge or go into the courtroom and maybe get the ticket, get the, convince the police officer to reduce the fine or throw the ticket out? Yes, um, you can before court, and it's sort of expected that this is the process that most people will engage in, and, and the officers anticipating this. Um, before court, uh, you can speak to the officer in the hallway outside and, you know, try and get them to either amend the ticket or drop the ticket entirely, uh, or agree to reduce the fine, agree to something lesser so that you don't face the same consequences. And those discussions can often be quite fruitful um, because a lot of the time, you know, police officers, they don't have a lot of skin in the game. People think that they do. They, they are looking for the best outcome that fulfills their public safety purpose, but also, you know, uses court time efficiently. Right. OK. Now, here's another one I was wondering about. Let's say you do dispute a ticket. Are you required to 
to testify, or is it just like in the court dramas you see on TV, like maybe you don't have to testify, you know, on your own case, you can choose not to testify, or do you have to stand up and say something in court? You are never obligated to testify okay. in court. That's a constitutionally protected right that applies as well to traffic tickets. There are circumstances, though, where strategically it might be in your best interest to testify. So what will happen is um, the officer, after they give their evidence and after you cross-examine them, um, usually if you're self-represented, the justice will ask you whether you're going to provide evidence. If you're represented by a lawyer, your lawyer will tell you you should testify or you should not testify based on how the evidence has come out. And if there's something that you need to say that's different than what the officer said and the officer didn't resile from their position on cross-examination, it may be strategically in your interest to testify. Okay, what is your typical approach with your clients? Do you typically advise your clients, like, just stay quiet and I'll handle it, don't testify? Or do you think sometimes there is an advantage to put your client up there? There is sometimes an advantage to have my clients testify. But in the vast majority of cases, um, you know, the, the strategy is to win without having the client even come to court at all. So I'm permitted okay. to appear on behalf of my clients, which means when they hire me, I go to court and they don't need to come unless I'm intending to have them testify. Speaking to Kyla Lee, Acumen Law, Kyla is a traffic lawyer. Kyla, let's talk about some of the uh, interesting changes to the Provincial Motor Vehicles Act introduced in the legislature this week. There's a lot of interesting changes here. Did not get a lot of uh, media attention here in the last, last couple of days here. What is in this bill here? There's so much in this bill. I mean, one of the big things that I think we've all kind of been wondering when we would see this is uh, the ability of the government to regulate self-driving cars. And they're adopting oh. international uh, international standards for different levels of uh, autopilot vehicles. Um, there is a blanket prohibition on anything that is like an autonomous vehicle. But um, they they have a um, a mechanism set up to allow them to regulate the use of self-driving cars in the future without having to pass additional changes to the Motor Vehicle Act. So this will be very interesting to see. Okay, it sounds like maybe this is some preemptive legislation. Like right now, like a self-driving car is not legal right now. Is that correct? You can't put a self-driving car on the road right now? Well, there's not really anything that says anything specific about it in the Motor Vehicle Act. So this will be, mm. if these changes are passed, this will be the first actual prohibition on it. Um, obviously, it is prohibited in the sense of interpreting all the other provisions of the Motor Vehicle Act creates a de facto prohibition, but we will have an outright prohibition on it, except with exceptions approved by regulation. Okay, this is one to watch for sure, because this is looking forward to the future here as well. What about safe passing and following distance for, with cyclists on the road? I mean, this is an, another one you hear about all the time. They're changing, there's some proposed changes to the law on that? Yes, so they've created a definition of vulnerable road users, which includes pedestrians and cyclists, and they're now mandating a minimum one-meter passing distance when passing a vulnerable road user and a three-meter following distance when driving behind them. And they've also created exceptions to prohibitions under the Motor Vehicle Act that um, say that you can't uh, cross a solid line or a double solid line, you can't make an, uh, a lane change in certain circumstances, to exempt those in circumstances where you need to do it to maintain a safe passing distance. Okay, that's very interesting. So a one meter, there would be a minimum one meter passing distance if you pass a cyclist. Is that like, what is the, what is the dis minimum distance now or is there one? 
there isn't a minimum minimum distance okay. now. right now uh, cars and cyclists are both required to ride as or drive as far to the, the their respective sides of the road as possible and that's and that's basically it okay what do you think of that one meter passing rule Does that makes sense to uh, you I mean, it makes sense, certainly, for safety. I am um, concerned about the way that it's going to be used in cases where cyclists aren't adhering to their continuing obligation to ride as far right as practicable. Um, But it could cause some, you know, significant traffic snarls. Um, But, I mean, I guess we'll see how it plays out in, uh, in, you know, reality when, if and when it passes. It sounds kind of common sense to me. Like, I can't imagine passing a cyclist less than one meter i think that'd be a little hazardous it, it certainly it's certainly unsafe and you know i think most drivers are trying to give cyclists uh the room that they need i think it's situations oh, yeah. like you know for example kingsway during rush hour if there's a cyclist in the right lane and you've got three lanes of you know of slow moving traffic um you know making that pass with one meter is often very difficult because the lanes don't give enough enough width to make that happen right um, you know, and that's that's where I'm I'm concerned that this legislation doesn't necessarily reflect the reality of of rush hour driving. Okay, here's another one that's in this bill, and we've talked about this on the show recently, especially with some of the the deadly accidents involving trucks that we've seen, in, especially in the interior and Highway Five. So, listeners in the interior will be familiar with that those Highway Five accidents, and I've spoken to a bunch of mayors out there who are asking for a safety crackdown on this this one-lane highway. And one of the ideas that's frequently brought up is a speed limiter, a speed limiter on trucks. So you'd actually physically have a, a limit on how fast that truck can go, right? So you can't go any faster. You put the pedal to the metal. You still wouldn't be able to go over a, a maximum speed. Is that how a speed limiter works, Kyla? That is how a speed limiter works. It essentially yeah. would uh, cap the speed of the truck at the maximum speed limit uh, determined by regulation. It'll probably be 120 kilometers per hour because that's the maximum speed on, on any highway in BC. Um, but the speed limiter is very interesting because not only does the legislation require this on any vehicle with a gross vehicle weight over 11,000 kilograms um, that's manufactured after 1994 with an electric engine, it is also requiring it um, uh, requiring uh, drivers of those trucks to permit police officers to enter their vehicle without a warrant, to search for the speed limiter, to search for information to show that it's active and in use, and to seize any data from it at any point. Wow. What kind so of data would be on there? Well, there would be data about when the speed limiter is activated, what speeds the vehicle was uh, driving uh, at Whoa. at particular points in time. So it can tell a lot of information about a particular vehicle, and in cases oh. of accidents, it will give uh, pre-crash data that may also reveal information about how the accident took place. All right, lots of calls to traffic lawyer Kyla Lee. Let's get right at it here. Walter in Victoria. Hi, Walter. Go ahead. Hey. Um, so I'm just wondering. Often, like I'm in slow-moving traffic, and I got bikes zipping beside me, like within inches of my vehicle. So, would this one-meter rule also be enforced on them? Oh, oh, does it work both ways, Kyla? It, it does not work both ways. It's oh. the obligation of the driver to give the room to the vulnerable road user. Yeah. Okay. Walter, what do you think of that? Uh, yeah, I think it should, should obviously go both ways. Yeah, I know. But if let's be honest about it, though. If someone on a bike hits your car, 
you're not going to have too much trouble, though, are you? I mean, isn't it the the vulnerable? Like, like you said, Kyla, like a cyclist, how did the government define it? A vulnerable... Vulnerable vul- road user. A vulnerable road user is the government's official definition. So, Walter, what do you think of that? They're vulnerable, aren't they? Uh, I agree. I agree they're vulnerable. I think they're just, they need to be rules enforced for them as well. It needs to be equal both ways. Okay. Mark in Nanaimo. Hi, Mark. Go ahead. Hey, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, sure. I'm talking about the speed limiters. I've been in, I've worked for a trucking company before that's had speed limiters. And when you're going down a two lane highway and you need to pull out and pass because the other guy's going below the speed limit, because you're limited to a certain speed, sometimes it's not safe to be able to finish that pass before you're out of the area where you're allowed to do it. And what is, the, what is the allowable speed limit over the speed limit to pass, or is there one? Okay, that's an interesting one. Maybe the speed limiter could actually make things more dangerous in that situation. I mean, in theory, it could, although there's never uh, an uh, allowable speed limit over the posted speed limit just because you're doing a pass. The only time would be if if you were raising a defense to a charge of speeding that it was necessary for you to speed to protect yourself and your life and your safety. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, if you've got a speed limiter in the vehicle, you're out of luck, aren't you? You can't speed up. You can't speed up, um, although I, I believe there might be ways to override it um, okay. manually in those circumstances. I, I would imagine that that technology exists because there is an obligation uh, to allow police officers to inspect that it's actually on and working at the time. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, Richard in Vancouver. Hi, Richard. Go ahead. Yeah, two quick points. Uh, like the first caller, I don't like the fact that there's two sets of rules for uh, essentially bicyclists and uh, drivers. I think he talked about the fact that the one-meter thing doesn't apply to uh, cyclists. But on the other hand, if they pass you on the right and come up to a stop sign and all that, and you've heard of the accidents happening where trucks turning right and all that, I think the first caller is right. This, the rules of the road should apply to everybody equally. And the second point I'd like to make is about the concept, and I find this incredible, that in the changes to the Motor Vehicle Act, that no one's addressed e-scooters and e-bikes, which are not self-propelled, but they have motors in them. So why aren't they considered part of the Motor Vehicle Act? Okay, well, I'm glad you brought that up because I believe the, the electric bicycles are mentioned. in the, There's a lot in this bill here. Kyla, what's in there on e-bikes? Yes, they are creating a, a scheme to regulate uh, e-bikes and e-scooters, um, and it will essentially go by regulation for individual cases. So I expect to see certain types and styles of bikes that are commonly sold and types and styles of scooters be specifically mentioned in regulation as permissible um, under the exemptions rather than having these really like nuanced, hard-to-understand rules. Let's go to Joe in Vancouver. Hi, Joe. Go ahead. Hi, how you doing? Yeah, it's about, you know, I drive for a living, and um, uh, uh, specifically my question about the e-bikes and such, it is a kind of a two-rule a, a two rule system because those people are uh, on e-bikes and such. They, they don't really pay attention to the rules. It's more like a get out of my way, I'm trying to get somewhere, and I find it kind of uh, not fair to a driver when they're, when they're literally, they have to uh, the, pay attention to the rules of the road, and be careful because you're driving a big vehicle. But, you know, where does it stop with the, with, with the e-bikes and, and, and the cyclists who don't, you know, pay attention to the rules and, and cause okay. situations like accidents? Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Kyla, we got 30 seconds here. Your thoughts? 
Well, I mean, I think eventually we are going to have to see some more obligations placed on cyclists when it comes to um, sort of uh, respecting the rules of the road, because the longer we have, um, you know, changes made to drivers to protect cyclists, we also have to put some personal responsibility on cyclists to protect themselves and to ride in a sensible manner. Kyla, thank you for coming on. Where can people reach you? What's your website? Uh, They can find me at VancouverCriminalLaw.com or uh, Kyla Lee Lawyer on TikTok. (laughs) Thanks, Kyla. Appreciate it. Thank Kyla, you. 